friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Justin. Usually when you say good morning, the crowd says, thank you. So happy to see you guys today. Thanks for coming and being here on Memorial Day weekend. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Chase Dewey. I am a pastor here. I work with our middle school through college age, really kids and it's it's awesome and sometimes usually when everyone else is out of town they ask me to come up here and talk so that's what we're going to do today and uh, I'm excited to do it though I I think the Lord has a uh, good word for us and um, especially in light of what today and the significance of today what it means uh, for our city our state our neighbors so Last week, my dad addressed the topic of racial reconciliation and how, as Christ's body and bride, we should interact with that, how we should move forward into it. With difficult topics, there are sure to be times of discomfort, uneasiness, heartbreak, and an overwhelming sense of not knowing where we go from here. And unfortunately, that that weightiness that we feel paralyzes us. We hear the sermon... We know it's true. We know there's a disconnect somewhere, but it paralyzes us, and we don't move. And to to our credit, not just to be hard, I don't want to be harsh on anyone today. There's no condemnation in this. Hopefully, this is very hopeful. But to our credit, that overwhelming sense asks, we're asking, like, what do we do now? Like, where do we go from here? I hope today to maybe break that down a little bit more, and I'm excited to do it, so, but I want to acknowledge this at first, Uh, I'm not going to solve all your problems, like a sermon or a podcast, that's not going to solve your problems, that's not going to really address what we do, how do we move out, what, how as Christ's body do we interact with injustice in our city, in our state, but what does need, uh, what solutions need obedience and action and humility and a desire to learn. That's where I'm at in this process, so I ask for grace as I talk about this. I'm just, in a, I'm just trying to humble myself. If Christ is the head and the Holy Spirit is the one who comforts us, that doesn't enable us to define what comfort is for us. Does that make sense? So we are not the ones who define comfort. Holy Spirit is our comforter. And, and in that, he might lead us into areas that are discomforting, they're uncomfortable, but he is then our comforter in that moment. Does that make sense? Are we tracking a little bit? But when we define what's comfortable and what's not comfortable, we kind of wall off stuff that I think is really important, and it leaves wounds just to sit there and sit there, and we never really address them. We just want to turn our heads the other way. Today, we want to address something that happened 
in our community 100 years ago and then talk about what, what does that mean for us today? What does it mean for us today? So Skyline is partnering with a bunch of different churches in our state with actually talking and remembering the Tulsa Race Massacre that happened 100 years ago. As we remember, my prayer is that the Lord softens our hearts, opens our ears, and pours out his spirit of revelation, truth, and love. And I think he wants to do that. So we're going to jump in. I'm going to, just to give you a little bit of formatting here, I'm going to read a brief, like, outline of what happened. We're going to watch a video that's about eight minutes long, and then we'll, we'll tie it. We'll try to put a little bow on it. I'll do the best I can, <laughs> okay? Uh, we're, we're not going to solve it today. Okay, so let that pressure release. We're not solving it today. We're just addressing how do we move forward. So in 1921, the Tulsa Race Massacre was the worst civil disturbance on American soil since the Civil War. While the past cannot be changed, we can allow events of the past to change us, our perspective, our attitudes, and our hearts. On this day 100 years ago, May 30th, 1921, a 19-year-old Dick Rowland was falsely accused of attacking 17-year-old Sarah Page on a downtown elevator as reported by the Tulsa Tribune. This false narrative struck the match that lit fires of racial discord in this city and erupted into 16 to 18 hours worth of carnage, destruction, and mayhem. One of the most prosperous black communities at that time in the United States was, was destroyed. What took many Tulsa residents lifetimes to build took other people only hours to destroy. With one library, two dozen grocery stores, four drug stores, eight doctor's offices, a dozen churches, over 30 restaurants in an entire neighborhood were reduced to ruins. 38 blocks, city blocks, decimated by bombs and fires and weaponized weaponized civilians tore down. Countless, countless lives were forever changed by the racist actions and attitudes of Tulsa citizens. The 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre reveals how wrong attitudes can result in great destruction, but the spirit of Greenwood would not die. And for context, Greenwood was the community that was wiped out in wake of all that destruction. But the human spirit of resilience embodied by this community literally rebuilt itself bigger and better economically ever than, economically than before. <laughs> so we're going to watch a video right now on Greenwood, their transformation, and then I'll hop back up here. So if you could turn your attention to the screen. There is sound with this, and I'm not going to narrate.
Okay. While we figure this out. Boom. There it is. Thank you, Holy Spirit. An entire group of people invading their own city. The participation of the National Guard to drop bombs or inflame pesticide, depending on what historical account you read, on their own citizens. We are not devoid of our past. The very thing that informs our present are things that happened before we were here. And that if we aren't intentional, and history will begin to repeat itself over and over again. Because I did not know about, learn about, or hear about the Tulsa Race Massacre until I was 26 years old, living in Richmond, Virginia, in seminary, working on my second master's degree. For 26 years of my life, I was devoid of being able to know who I am and to know where I come from. If I would have known the history, I would have known that the massacre story doesn't just end with the killing and the destruction, but it also tells a story of resilience and defiance to a system of systemic oppression that continuously puts its foot on a group of people they deem to be inferior. And if I understood the power of my people in the past, I'd understand the power that I had within myself. So I grew up in Tulsa. I was born here, went to school here, and I never heard a thing about the events of 1921 and specifically the race massacre until I was an adult living in another state. Actually, I was in seminary in Texas. You know, for me, it was so eye-opening that, that I could live here and be so ingrained in the life of this city, and yet I had to be out of state in another school reading a different book to ever actually hear what happened. I remember in the early 90s when I moved to Tulsa, it was about the same time the Greenwood Cultural Center came into existence and decided to go in and just look at the newspapers on the wall. And I remember thinking like, okay, I'm certified to teach Oklahoma history. This can't, this, is this real? You know, I was just stunned that I could be a student in this state through two, you know, eventually with two degrees of higher learning and never have encountered this in formal education. I think if you're a person of integrity and you understand something terrible has happened historically, you, you gain a, an understanding and a conviction and a commitment to forgive yourself for not knowing, but then deciding what you're going to do going forward. If this history was more commonly known and understood, we wouldn't be 100 years after this event, just now building a history center. We would not have still some portions of our community and country who push back against finding those who may be buried in mass graves. We would have people that would have been very supportive of this uh, much earlier than where we are now. Um, it's, it's, it's wonderful that our community and in many parts of our country are coalescing around this initiative and this effort for 2021. But imagine where we would be now as a country, as a state, as a community, if this would have been addressed many, many years before. I think uh, benefits of what we'll see in the years to come are things that could have happened many, many years before now. 
you know, there's still a lot of healing that needs to be done in the community. So what can we, by, by commemorating that, that tragedy, how can we kind of move forward from there? So right now, people have been coming down to Greenwood and Black Wall Street. Um, as they've learned more about the history, you know, there's like Watchmen, there's like all these shows that are have, there's all this national attention that we're, that this history is receiving. And they come down here and they want to know the history. You know, they, they want to see what's left. They want to see what it is today. And it's hard for them to, to have a cohesive story on their tour. And so hopefully Greenwood Rising helps them to better put the story together. When you allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to say, what if that had been my family? What if, what if I were seeing my business go up in flames? What if I thought my children were getting ready to be shot by US aircrafts? If you allow yourself to put and walk walk in other people's shoes as part of history and not thinking about it as some dry, boring book, you know, and, and recognizing that the graves they're looking for right now, those are, those are our families, you know, those are the families of Tulsans of our state. And we owe them the most respect and the, and the greatest intention to tell those stories. The reality is a lot of people in the community where our church is in South Tulsa, the only time they come to Greenwood or that area is to go to a baseball game or to eat at a restaurant they like. We also need to acknowledge what happens downtown in Greenwood, North Tulsa. All of that is a part of Tulsa. This is our shared community and our shared life. And so anything that our church can do to help create a bridge from the south part of Tulsa to downtown to Greenwood to North Tulsa, we wanna do that. And I found that sitting on the commission, my friends from Greenwood and North Tulsa they want to see that bridge go both directions. I think Tulsa is, you know, kind of known for being a bit of a segregated city racially. Um, and hopefully that's, this is an opportunity for us to kind of come together around something that was a traumatic experience, not just for the black community, but for, you know, the entire city of Tulsa. Um, and, and hopefully something, you know, great is, uh, comes from that. So the vision for Greenwood Rising essentially would be to educate, to inform, um, and then to allow for reconciliation, uh, a place where people can come and heal from historic racial trauma, and more importantly, allow people to really take this journey together um, so that we can look at our past, learn from it, and not repeat those same mistakes and move forward. You can't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. We can't make plans for a better Tulsa. We can't make plans for a better Oklahoma without holistically and truthfully acknowledging what took place in the past. Not hiding it, not shunning it, not diluting everything that took place. Again, that's not an act of love. An act of love is telling the truth. So if you want a better Tulsa, if you want a loving Oklahoma, you're gonna tell the truth.
I love how he ends that with, if we do want those things, this is how you do it, you know? And I, I, I'm here, and I'm saying, I do want that. I want a better Tulsa. I want a better Oklahoma City. I want a better Oklahoma. I want a better United States. I think all of us do. And what I love about that video is it, it does, it should stir up a little bit of hope. Maybe that's the first time, maybe this is the first week you've ever heard about the Tulsa Race Massacre. I, I learned about it, not in Oklahoma history in high school. I learned about it as a senior in college on a Twitter thread. And I shouldn't be learning about this kind of stuff that happens in our state on a social media platform. We should be teaching it. How do you learn if you don't teach it, you know? And what I think what's happened is we've just turned our faces. And I, and I don't want this to come down condemning on anybody in here. Because I don't think we've actively done it. We've just been ignorant. I think there's a little bit of ignorance in it. But now we know. He says they want to educate. They want to inform and they, wanna, they, they want that to lead to reconciliation. And, and what I want to talk about is education and information, but how that leads to transformation in our hearts. Because that's the work of our redeeming Lord. He transforms hearts. He transforms cities. He transforms lands, he, countries. This is nothing new to him. So I want to re revisit the question at the beginning I didn't grab, Wesley, I didn't grab the, the clicker, so I'll just tell you a slide. Um, where do we start? And as Christians, this is a very, very important place. When we come to grips with human limitation on what we can do, this is, this is where the church comes in. Because human, human uh, participation can only get you so far right? We can't do this by ourselves. And that's what we're recognizing. And that's good. <laughs> that's good. It doesn't sound like good news, but it's good news. And here's why it's good news. Because it offers the space of lament. And lament is something that I, I don't think the church knows about. I can't remember the last time we talked about it. We try to avoid maybe the lamenting thing because it's uncomfortable, I'm not up here advocating that lament is fun. It's not, but it's necessary. It's necessary for transformation. And as long as we live in a fallen world, lament's just going to be part of it because human suffering is going to be part of it. And as Christians, we're called to go to where Jesus would be. And he didn't avoid these topics. He didn't avoid these situations. He marched boldly into them and when others wept, he wept with them. You know, we don't need to have the answers, but we do need to be present. And lament really offers a safe place for human beings to enter God's presence or what might seem like the lack thereof and to cry out. And so, Wesley, if you go to the next slide, as I've been reflecting on lament, I feel like the Lord has given me these little statements that I just want to share with you guys. The first is lament is not a lack of faith. It's actually exercising it. It's wrestling with God. We ask him hard, hard questions, and he can handle it. And I feel like 
what I try to tell our high schools all the time is like, ask questions, be curious. If you're bored or you ignore it, then like, what are we doing? Like, wrestle, wrestling with God. Jacob did that. He wrestled to the point and said, I will not let go until you bless me. And guess what God did? He blessed him. But they had to engage in wrestling. I just don't, I, th- again, I just don't think we really know how to do this. Because it's not something that's comfortable. But he can handle it. And as we press in, he opens himself up to us. Every time. Every time. Next is lament does not ignore reality. It actually embraces it. Lament does not anger God. It's a search for him. Lament is honest. And Skyline, what's not honest is not acknowledging the injustices that we face as a society. It's not honest to turn our heads the other way. And despite our neighbors struggling, we're not. So we're just going to, eh, we're, we're okay. And I think I, I do this. I do it to make myself feel better because I don't know what to do when faced with difficult topics, with difficult situations. I don't know what to do. I come to the end of myself. And that's the next point is lament is recognizing suffering and justice and our incapability to fix it ourselves. Donna Harris, Jonathan uh, sent me a podcast, and this lady named Donna Harris spoke about lament, and what she said, I want to share with you guys, it says, she says this about human beings when they encounter brokenness. When we see brokenness, we want to jump right to action. We jump to meaning making, where we are trying to force a purpose or figure out in our own human ways, our worldly ways, what that purpose must be, and then force the action. When we do this, we skip over hard but necessary questions. And oftentimes, his solutions to the problems we face are bigger, better, and different than what we would do as human beings. And this allows us to enter into brokenness with humility and enter into it faithfully. The recognition that we can't, we can't, we can't solve it. And so that, that human impulse to see suffering and immediately try to put a Band-Aid on it, that's not a bad thing. But it's just skipping ahead a step. It's not lamenting. It's not sitting and waiting for the Lord to move ahead. We're just, we're rushing the mountain before he's telling us to. And what we do in our human efforts don't always satisfy the deeper underlying issue. And there's a variety of ways that we see that in our community. And finally, lament is a cry for God to be who God says he is. And I believe he's a a redeemer. He's a defender of the weak. He's there in the presence of injustice. He is just. He will have the final word. And instead, we try to, we're trying to do that for him. Guys, let's get out of the way. Let's get out of the way. He is those things. We get to participate with him. Okay? That's beautiful. That's hopeful, right? We get to participate with him. What Jesus did on the cross was victory once and for all. And now we live in the waiting of his return. 
And how we live in that is we chase the enemy. They're running for the hills. We chase them down. But we chase them down with Jesus leading the charge. We don't assemble our own army and be like, oh, we're going to go take these guys out over here. No, we follow the king. And in light of these things, we see that lament is an important part of redemption. It is awareness of my insufficiency. Wesley, you can go to the next slide. It is awareness of my insufficiency that leads to the awareness of his sufficiency. When we recognize his sufficiency, confidence builds up within us, leading to faith, which then leads to hoping that God will move. And that is what we've been crying out for almost two years now, is God, send revival in our city. That is what is going to transform this place, is God's presence being poured out, changing our hearts, and transforming our city that way. And guys, I I don't want to spend too much time on this, but go to the Psalms. A third of the Psalms are lament Psalms. And this is how they go. It, it, It is a cry out to God at first. It's acknowledging what's wrong. David's David's prayers or whoever's writing the psalm of lament, he's honest. He's brutally honest. We're not that comfortable to talk to God like that. But God can handle it. He's God. And so he's, you, you cry out to God, you ask him, you, you tell him what's going on, and then you ask him to move in faith. They usually end with like, I will see my God in the land of the living. I will see him. It's, it's statements of faith tied on at the end of it. So lament just isn't throwing ashes on my head and laying on the stage and crying forever and ever. That's part of it. That's recognizing our brokenness. But that's not all of it. Lament is actually movement towards hope. And that's what I want to land on. Lament is movement towards hope. It's an essential step. And if we miss it, guys... We're going to be having these conversations every year because brokenness won't be fixed. We'll put our finger in the hole of the dam breaking, and then another one will pop out. It's because we're not capable of fixing those things, and that's good. We are in a good space here. I, want the, I, I don't want it to feel so heavy. It should feel a little heavy. <laughs> Truthfully, it should, you should feel the weightiness of it, but then give it back to him. He can handle it. The band can come back up. And so, that, guys, that's actually what we're going to do today. We're going we're gonna to enter in to this. Because what lament actually does is it places us in a perfect position for intercession. And intercession is just praying on behalf of others. And maybe we, I've heard, well, that, that's, not, that's not our problem that happened 100 years ago. In the Bible, when, when, when people found the law, the instruction of God, they would fall on their face and they would repent of what their forefathers did. doesn't matter if you were there. What matters is it's still a wound and it needs to be healed and it will only be healed by him. And so Jonathan always has this quote that says, information is good, application is better. But transformation is best. And transformation actually comes through humility and submitting to the Father and what he wants to do. Holy Spirit, where are you moving? And so, as the band plays, I want to read this verse and then I want to move into a time. We're going to group up into pairs. If If your kids are still in here, bring them in on it. 
uh, but group up in pairs, and we're going to pray. We're going to take two minutes. I'm going to set a, a timer, my timer down there, and we're going to, we're actually going to pray through this, okay? But this, the, in Hebrews it says, therefore let us draw near to the throne of favor with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace when we need help. And guys, we need a whole lot of help. We need help. But we can boldly approach. Think about that. We can boldly approach the God who can control this, that can fix it. We can barge into his throne room and say, there's an issue. And he'll hear you. The fact that he hears us when we cry out is amazing. He hears us. It might, for some of us, maybe we've been in this for a long time. We've been working through this for a long time. And it feels like our prayers and our cries have fallen on deaf ears, but they haven't. He hears. And in the right time, he acts. And it's fixed. And our participation with him is just following Following his lead, it's obedience. Yes, it's going to lead us into uncomfortable conversations. We're going to be uncomfortable. We need to fight against the idol of comfortability. It's not that nice. Life's not found in comfort. It's found in Christ. And Christ did not avoid uncomfortable situations. So forgive me, Lord, for trying to find comfort and define it myself. So, Wesley, if you can go to the next si slide. I'm going to give, everyone get out your Bible. I'm going to give you a verse. One of you is going to read the verse. The other, one of you, the other one is going to pray into that verse. Sorry, next slide. And at first, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna cry out to God to transform our hearts and our lives. Because it has to start inside of us. It has to start inside of us. And so, if you, if you would turn to Psalm 139, 23 through 24, read that together, and then cry out to God. Yes, search me, Lord. Search me. If there's any way in me that's offensive, remove it, because I want to walk in your way everlasting. So I'm going to give you guys two minutes. Read the prayer they're going to play so it's not so awkward and pray out loud pray out loud cry out to God if he hears you pray pray and then I'll come back up here Psalm 139 23 through 24 if y'all want to start winding up those prayers we're going to move into one more You can go ahead and hit that next slide. This will be our last one. The next one that I want to move into is the transformation of our city and our state. To cry out, Lord, heal our land. And in this verse references Isaiah 43, 19. Whoever prayed, you're reading the Bible verse now. And 
now the other person's praying. If you guys were all stars and everyone prayed, you get a gold star from me. Nice. But uh, Isaiah 43, 19. And we're, we're, we're going to humbly approach, but yet boldly approach his throne and say, Lord, you are doing a new thing. You're doing a new thing. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see what you're doing, to see the new things that you're trying to create in our city, the places that you're wanting to transform. So again, Isaiah 43, 19, pray through that, that he would transform our city and our state. every prayer in here that our prayers don't fall on deaf ears Lord you're near and you're near to the broken and you searched us Father we just commit our lives to you and your work Jesus we're your bride so continue to transform us to reflect you to a world that's falling apart to be hope, to be light, to be humble. Lord, it's okay that we don't have the answers to everything. You do. We want to wait on you, Jesus, because you are the one who brings perfect peace. You're the one who comforts us when we're uncomfortable. You heal the sick. You set the prisoner free. Jesus, these are things that you do. So we just get out of the way. And we commit our lives to you, our allegiances to you. And we ask you to pour out your spirit on our city and heal us from our past transgressions. Because you can do it, God. We believe it. We pray that in your name. Amen. I'm going to invite the, the prayer team up. I, I, I want to say one last thing. This wasn't fixed today, but it was a good step forward. It was stepping into lament. Lament is not passive. It's active. It's intercession. It's wrestling. So the wrestling still might be going on in our hearts. We have, we're going to have a prayer team up here. And guys, I, I say this with love. I feel like Christians are some of the worst people when it comes to getting prayed over. We're, if, if you come up here and get prayed over, what goes into my mind is that person's being edified and built up in the spirit. The Lord is moving in their lives, and I bless that. I'm not thinking, oh, man, what did they do? And I feel like that's kind of that, the whole go to the altar thing. Oh, I don't want to go up there because people are going to think, they're going to think I did something bad this week. Or that God uncovered this deep sin. If God uncovered a deep sin in our heart, we should be rejoicing that it's been brought into the light. So come up, receive prayer. If there's still stirring in your heart, if the Lord gave you something, let us bless it. We want to bless that. But prayer's not just for brokenness. It's for building up. It's building up. That's what this time's for. So we're so thankful for our prayer team. Come up. 
if you feel led, if you feel like you still want to pray through something, we'd love, we'd love to pray with you. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching at Skyline AKC. Again, here at Skyline, we are a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. So if you would like any more information on that, please go to our website at skylineokc.com and connect with us 